folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find some common ground that could bring us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today, speaking of extremism, we're going to be talking about a handful of people who've entered the public narrative largely as a result of the hyper-extreme partisanship that's going on all around us. Uh, We're going to talk about Alex Jones being recently banned from just about everywhere, Sarah Young, the flaming racist hired by the New York Times, John Brennan, whose security clearance was recently revoked by Trump, and Julian Assange, who is likely to be extradited to the U.S. uh, very shortly for publishing leaked documents. Well, that is that is just a a murderer's row of all star (laughs) winning personalities. That's right. right. So none of these people are really likable folks. Um, And I think that's why it's important that we take a long, hard look at their situations. Uh, It's a lot easier to make snap decisions about someone you don't like. And, you know, maybe that establishes precedent that will later be applied to someone you don't like. Uh, After all, I think former ACLU director Stephen Shapiro said it quite nicely. uh, The First Amendment really was designed to protect a debate at the fringes. You don't need the courts to protect speech that everyone agrees with because that speech will be tolerated. You need a First Amendment to protect speech that people regard as intolerable, outrageous, or offensive because that's when the majority will wield its power to censor or suppress. And we have a First Amendment to prevent the government from doing that. Now, my man man really hit the nail on the head, and, and that's what else is interesting is all four of these stories today involve the First Amendment. Now, you know, in Assange's case, it's, you know, the freedom of the press, but but otherwise it's, you know, freedom of speech. And I think that's what we have to remember. Like the the important freedom of speech battles or First Amendment battles are never going to be easy ones. You know, they're always going to be a little complicated, but I don't think that they're really complex issues. Like once you get past your like, you know, your personal feelings and like start to look at like the facts of the case, these these become very simple in my opinion. I, I tend to agree. The ACLU used to stick up for people like that, but they've <laughs> recently in recent months said that, you know, because of the climate and everything, they've got to be more choosy and more selective about who they'll defend and mm-hmm. be careful that they're not enabling hate speech. And we're going to talk well, they, about that. They took a lot of flack for for defending the Charlottesville protesters. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was one of the kind of turning points in the ACLU's uh, leadership yeah. was that they said, guys, how can we? And they've always done this. They've stu- they've, yeah. they've defended neo-Nazis. They and they've defended, defended the Skokie Nazis. I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess they're at a position where they're they're seeing... Uh, some of these groups rise where they'd hope uh, they wouldn't, and maybe they feel like um, you know they're they're partly to blame for that. For, yeah, for I'm, defending I'm them. Sure, it has nothing to do with like their donations drying up a little bit. You know, oh, I mean? womp, so, womp, yeah. womp. Well, anyway, we're left at the end of the day with the fact that the ACLU is not going to defend these sorts of people anymore. So somebody's got to do it, and I <laughs> guess that's us. Hooray! <laughs> so uh, we'll start off here with WikiLeaks. Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard or followed the WikiLeaks saga over the past few years, here's a, here's a quick recap. Uh, WikiLeaks is an international nonprofit organization that publishes secret information, news leaks, and classified media provided by anonymous sources. They're responsible for releasing the Chelsea Manning documents back in 2010, and they're responsible for releasing the DNC hacks in 2016, among a host of other leaked documents and videos. WikiLeaks has been out there doing this for years. Um, Julian Assange is the founder and director of WikiLeaks. Assange has been living in the Ecuadorian embassy in London under asylum for eight years. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, just (laughs) confined in the asylum. Uh, to avoid being extradited to the U.S. because it is largely believed that if he is extradited to the U.S., he will be charged with, among other things, violating the Espionage Act of 1917. Um, there were some other charges that, have, you know, going all the way back to Eric Holder under Obama, uh, the government has at various times listed off various charges that they think they could file against Assange for, you know, leaking these documents. Um, what makes this especially pressing at the moment is that uh, July 27th of this year, the Ecuadorian president, Lenin Moreno, announced that he was in talks with the British government to withdraw the asylum for Assange. And it's widely believed that sometime in the next few weeks or even days, uh, Assange is going to be turned over to the British authorities. Okay. So so tell me why why does this matter? I mean, what, what's the what's the big deal? What's at stake here? Well, Assange's possible prosecution for publishing leaked government secrets presents a grave threat to the freedom of the press in this country. Traditionally, 
the government and the Department of Justice, whenever there's a leak, they go after the leaker. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, Chelsea Manning, you know, she she went to jail and she just got out recently. Um, uh, Eric Snowden, they're trying to, you know, capture Snowden, not the people who published it. Right. Going after Assange and going after WikiLeaks, that is that is a different approach from the government. And that means that now when secret government, you know, secret government files get leaked, the government's signaling that it's going to go after the publisher. Ouch. Yeah. And that which I, I guess freedom, freedom of the press dictates that if if someone leaks classified information to them and it's uh, worthwhile for their readership, they can go ahead and publish that because right. they have no oblig- obligation to uphold the classification. And there is there is kind of like a uh, I'm not sure if this is like codified anywhere, but I think it's like an unwritten rule that you have to be someone who who you know, has previously indicated that you are a publisher, like for you to get that special treatment. Cause technically, no, it's against the law to publish, you know, those, those secret files, mm. but it's never enforced that way. So long as you're the New York times or Washington post, or, you know, to make the case that WikiLeaks is not a publisher. I mean, that's all WikiLeaks has ever been. Sure. Like they've, they've clearly presented themselves as a publisher. Right. And, and, and I think it's valuable. I mean, I, I think that a lot of times, you know, secret abuses and things are contained within classified documents. And it's important for us to, to, to get insight into the inner workings of our government when it's failing. So right. to allow these people to, to publish classified documents at some level is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we definitely see the Trump administration uh, is, is definitely going right at Assange. Uh, Mike Pompeo uh, said that WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia, and he thus declared, we have to recognize that we can no longer allow Assange and his colleagues the latitude to use free free speech values against us. Yeah, so I think we would be remiss if we don't talk a little bit about WikiLeaks' relationship with Russia. Um, There's kind of this narrative I've seen on Twitter and among some some left-leaning talking heads um, that WikiLeaks is actually a Russian op that colluded with the, the Russian hackers to release the DNC emails uh, to swing the 2016 election for Trump. You know, that's not what Pompeo's saying here. He's a little right. softer, saying sometimes they work with Russia. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think I think we got to talk a little bit about the history of WikiLeaks and Russia. No, we do. And, and again, you know, as we said at the beginning, I think there's plenty not to like about Assange himself, in my opinion. Um, but at issue is, does he go above and beyond like just distasteful, right? So, so yes, maybe, you know, he has a connection with Russia, but does he also have a connection with us? Does he also have a connection with China? Is he doing something that is out of the ordinary or above and beyond to collude with and, and act as a foreign intelligence service against us? You know? Right. So I, I think we can look back uh, when WikiLeaks was releasing the, the 2016 DNC hack emails Um Assange was actually offered a huge cache of leaks uh, from the Russian Interior Ministry. Assange said he turned them down and said that they don't publish things they can't verify, which is good. You know, you ought to verify that the information is real before you publish it. Um, He also said that they don't publish documents which have already been published. And to me, when we're talking about this cache of documents, it's a little odd uh, because for one, the BBC had already done some reporting on some of these documents. So mm-hmm. the BBC re- verified that the documents were real um, and they did release some of those documents. The, the other kind of odd thing is that more than half of those documents were not released, were totally unpublished. The BBC hadn't talked about them. Um, so so hearing this is- excuse from Assange is a little bit weird. It's like, well, okay, they're they're verified. We know they're real. Yeah. And half of these haven't been published, so neither of those excuses really match up. A- at the same time, you're running all of this damaging information on on Hillary and the Democratic Party while while Trump is running. You know that obviously helps Trump. There's no leaks yeah. from Trump. Um, right. So so that really does play into the narrative um, that maybe he was trying to help Trump win the election. Yeah. No. And it's it's definitely troubling. But that's as is often the case with you know as we've talked before with the Trump collusion thing to begin with. And especially with the Sanj and WikiLeaks, it's troubling. There's smoke, not necessarily damning. Well, so so moving on, uh, back even further in 2010, uh, Assange began working with a Russian news organization and declared, we have compromising materials about Russia, about your government and businessmen, and we will publish these materials soon. 
Um, he also said, we're helped by the Americans who pass on a lot of material about Russia. So this was way back in 2010. Right. And he was very, uh, very outspoken about Russia. But mm-hmm. it kind of petered out. The news organization that he was working with did run a handful of stories following the announcement. They released some documents, but it wasn't nearly as much as I think that people expected. Right. So it it kind of got him this... Uh, this attitude of of being soft on Russia. And lo and behold, two years later, Assange has a show on (laughs) Kremlin-backed RT and and is now doing doing stories for RT. So that's a little weird too. Yeah, I mean, we've we've moved on past Smogel. I mean, it's like now we see a trend of him crawling into bed. I mean, to have a show on RT, see, that's the thing about this is it's another thing that you have to juxtapose this against is the image that Assange tries to present of himself. And and he's the the neutral hacker that's just giving, you know, the information to the people and letting them mm-hmm. decide and stuff. And he says all that stuff, but then he's very close to the Russians. You know that's what I mean? Right. And and he seems to and, and I get it, you know, like America's kind of the big kid on the block, but he definitely, you know, comes right at America. You know what I mean? Like you you can feel it in his and and Granted, they're trying to arrest him. So, well, and, you know. and and what WikiLeaks has said, what Assange has said is that their readership is primarily American. Yeah. And that they make decisions on what to publish based on what their readership's interested in. So well, it does make fair. sense. That's fair. Um, if if he's I mean, he's playing to an audience, he's trying to make money. It's a business, it's an organization. Yeah. Um, you know, he's trying to drive readership. So so in a sense, it does make a lot of sense to to run leaks about uh, things that your readership will be interested in. That's true. Which would lean more towards uh, American stuff. Um, so there's one other kind of interesting uh, interesting point between WikiLeaks and Russia, and that is when the Panama Papers released in 2015, which were not released through WikiLeaks, um, we saw the U.S. media pick through all of these papers. And for those of you that don't know about the Panama Papers, um, had financial information of some of the biggest players in the world, where they were hiding and funneling money. Numerous offshore accounts. Like yeah. Just everything. Offshore accounts, business connections, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the U.S. media picked this up and started publishing pieces uh, detailing Russian oligarchs' wealth and the connections to Putin and kind of making diagrams and saying, well, he's connected to him and he's connected to him and the money's flowing here and the money's going there. Um, and Assange actually took issue with this and and in several places uh kind of slammed US media for having for cherry picking and having an anti-Russian bias. No, he absolutely did. In fact, Assange <laughs> tweeted about the Panama Papers. Uh hashtag Panama Papers Putin attack was produced by OCCRP, which targets Russia and former USSR and was funded by USAID and Soros. So here he is you know, trying to say that Soros has funded this whole for a guy who leaks information to be worried about like the source of something. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, trust him to vet it, man. The the USO CCRP can do good work, but for the U.S. government to directly fund the Panama Papers attack on Putin seriously undermines its integrity. And uh, then he said claims that hashtag Panama Papers themselves are a plot against Russia or nonsense. However, hoarding DC organization and U.S. aid money tilt coverage. So he kind of walked back a little bit yeah. there. Uh, and actually, in an Al Jazeera interview, he said there was a clearly conscious effort to go with the Putin bashing, North Korea bashings, bashing, sanctions bashing, etc. So, so here he is. He's he's kind of sending mixed messages. At first, he's like, "Oh, this is anti-Putin, George Soros," blah blah. blah. And then he kind of walks it back a little bit. But clearly. He he sees the Panama Papers for some reason as as biased against Russia, yeah. which is really strange. I mean, there were there were Western names in the in the papers too. It wasn't all well. I know he was Putin he was not. he was complaining that they weren't made uh, searchable, like the first day that they were released. Well, they, it was an obscene amount of documents. It was, and like within a week, it was searchable. Like it's like he completely forgot everything that he does. You know what I mean? Like like he knows what it takes. That's right. You know, and so it was a little, you know, a little dishonest. And that's the thing. I don't see Assange as a completely honest actor. I mean, at at the very least, if you look at the leak of the WikiLeak DMs, uh, you know, with the 2016, the DNC hacks and everything, clearly there was an effort to get Hillary on the part of WikiLeaks. Right. And, you know, again, I say it just doesn't, for me, it doesn't jive with how Assange likes to portray himself. But... 
that none of that matters. I, I tend I, to agree. The, on this issue, none of that matters because what matters is whether or not the act of publishing leaked documents should be prosecuted. I mean, the obvious and terrifying implications here are that this opens up the New York Times, the Washington Post, and any other media outlet that would expose the inner workings and potential abuses within the government to prosecution. Think yeah. about the Pentagon Papers. Think about... Uh, you know, going back to Watergate. I mean, all these things be now are subject to prosecution if the ruling party, you know, doesn't care for it. It's it's kind of scary. This is one of the main purposes and virtues of a free press and freedom of speech to me. Uh, the press should absolutely be acting as a watchdog for government corruption. Uh, and if corruption is documented in classified documents and private emails, it does not serve us, the people, to hamper their dissemination at all. Right. Um, I mean, I get it. Things are classified for good reason. Uh, allowing people to just leak willy-nilly right. uh, kind of defeats the purpose of having a classification system at all. But at the same time, much like I believe that telling someone how to build an AR-15 uh, is an important thing to protect, if you're sharing information that you've been given, I think we've got a duty to protect that. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a line somewhere, and... You know, as usual, the Trump administration is making us look really long and hard at that line and try to decide where exactly to draw it. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know where to draw it. Well, here. I mean, no, I think I think we had it. I mean, I think it's completely fair to go after the leaker. Right. You go after the leaker. And I know that sucks. I know everybody, you know, wants like whistleblower rules and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we, we can't just, you know, make it OK, like you said, for people to leak stuff. We have to kind of protect our secrets and everything else. So you go after the leaker. They go to trial. And then in the trial, you know, hopefully the judge, the jury, whatever, decides how much the book needs to be thrown at them. But sure. what you never do is go after the publishers. Right. And, and let me tell you what's what's really of special note here. And that's the mainstream media has been largely silent about this. <laughs> there have been stories about Assange. You know, uh, I, I saw a story, you know, that the Ecuadorian president was considering revoking the asylum. But for instance, the New York Times number two lawyer just gave like a talk to a room full of judges at the, at the Ninth Circuit Court's uh, annual judicial conference, I think it was. And he said that if, by charging Assange, that sets a precedent that, you know, like we're saying, is, it could completely decapitate the First Amendment, you mm -hmm. know, especially like when you look at in regards to publishing things again, like the Pentagon Papers. The New York Times did not report that. Oh, you don't the New, say. The New, not, a, not an op-ed, nothing. I mean, I, think about that. In 2018, the Trump administration has signaled that it will pursue a prosecution that undermines the freedom of the press. And those and the press is aware of it. The, the number two lawyer for the New York Times is talking about it. So they're very aware of it. And in this country, the same media that's blasting headlines every day about his enemy of the people quotes and his fake news quotes are absolutely silent about this. Why is that? Well, you'd think the same folks who have been saying that Trump is a fascist would point to this as evidence of his fascism. Yeah. But no. his DOJ is now here attacking the free press and this is far beyond just sending a couple journalists out of the room during a press conference. <laughs> um, this is prosecuting a publisher for publishing. Yeah. It's kind of messed up. And you'd think that the same people who have been screaming about fascism would be all over it. Why, why are they silent? Yeah. You know, we, we talked, we've talked before about, you know, you guys cry wolf a lot and, you know, sometimes you're not getting to the things that actually are scary. This is something that actually is scary. I mean, he says enemy of the people, and yeah, some some nut job in Arkansas might pick up a gun. I mean, it, it could happen. That same nut job might think that his furnace told him to kill his dog and then mm. go kill some. You know what I mean? But but this this is clearly them changing the rules in in a bad way. Them undercutting the First Amendment, the freedom of the press. The worst part of my conspiracy theorist nature wants to tell you that this is just the mainstream media being a bunch of leftist lapdogs and they're, they're not going to touch it because they're mad about what Assange did to Hillary and the DNC. But, <laughs> they're just feeling burned yeah, yeah, that's out a, for revenge. Well, they're like, oh, no, well, to an extent, let them burn, let them burn. To an extent, I see that. Some of those, you know, some of those voices that are whining about Assange online, that's, that's very much what it is. They think that Assange was right there with Putin and right there with Trump. And, and you know, who knows, maybe. But that's, that's why they're not worried about defending the WikiLeaks guy. Mm. You know, but, but I think in reality, 
it's probably the same reason that these these paragons of journalism turn into <laughs> propaganda mouthpieces every time there's a country full of brown people that needs invading. They're Oof. afraid to be on the wrong side of the U.S. government. It's the same reason that they'll lie about yellow cake uranium. It's the same reason that no matter how uh, ideologically diverse all these places are, be it Fox News, Washington Post, MSNBC, CNN, if there's a country needs invading, all of a sudden they've all got generals on them and we're all talking about hoorah, let's go, let's go do what we got to do. <laughs> because they want the bones that are tossed to them. They don't want to get iced out. See, that's, I, that's what it amounts to. My my lizard brain. That's what I'm going to start calling my my conspiracy leanings. My lizard brain on the lizard <laughs> people. Alex Jones uh, tells me that the moneyed powers that be, the ones who have consolidated uh, the media influence and and bought up all the companies, um, they show us time and time again that they control the narrative. They have a vested interest in shutting down leakers because hey, look at the types of leaks that are making a big splash. The Panama Papers, the DNC leaks, they strike right to the heart of entrenched money and power. So to me, there's there's no question why they're silent. They're the target of the <laughs> leaks. <laughs> they want this stuff shut down. The people who are in charge of controlling the narrative are deathly afraid that their secrets and 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 the ties of their power will be outed. I mean, that's that's it to me. And I think this very well illustrates one of the dangers of operating in such a hyper extreme uh, kind of partisan political climate um, is that if there's a narrative that can convince us that that prosecuting Assange is a good thing, then then we go ahead and co-sign. We start establishing that precedent moving forward. And it's easy to do that when there's big, loud enemies to pin things on. It's right. really easy to do that. When there's a, a Trump Russia collusion argument going on, mm. um, and you and you have a consensus. I mean, because believe it, everyone from the Obama administration to the Trump administration to even Adam Schiff, who is is leading the charge against Trump with Russia collusion, wants Assange. Everybody wants Assange, and and everybody trying to do that. Look at what we might lose in the process. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so let's move on to uh, to Brennan. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know. We talk about freedom of speech, and when you, when you talk about freedom of speech, invariably someone says, well, you know, if, if somebody's being deplatformed or something, that's not the government, like, coming at you, punishing you over your freedom <laughs> of speech. Well, have I got a story for you guys. So this is from the uh, Huffington Post. President Donald Trump has revoked former CIA director John Brennan's security clearance. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced on Wednesday. Sanders said Trump has exercised his unique constitutional responsibility to protect the nation's classified information. Historically, as a professional courtesy, former heads of intelligence and law enforcement agencies have been allowed to retain access to government information after their tenure ends. The longstanding practice is so they can provide insight to their successors on topics they have interest or expertise in. Uh, however, Trump revoked Brennan's access because he believes Brennan has exhibited erratic conduct and questionable credibility. Uh, Trump said, Mr. Brennan has recently leveraged his status as a former high-ranking official with access to highly sensitive information to make a series of unfounded and outrageous allegations about this administration. Mr. Brennan's lying and recent conduct, characterized by increasingly frenzied commentary, is wholly inconsistent with access to the nation's most closely held secrets and facilitates the very aim of adversaries, which is to sow division and chaos. And by those standards, I'd say the president's security clearance should be revoked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But uh, all kidding aside, um, you know, he's talking about Brennan saying that uh, Helsinki his, his Helsinki comments uh, were treasonous, right? Um, you know, going going on the news reports and saying Trump should be impeached for it, this, that, and the other. Um, can he can he really legally do this? Uh, absolutely, the president has authority over who does and doesn't have security clearance. This this power is widely accepted to stem forth from the broad powers granted the the presidential office by Article Two of the Constitution. But that authority does have limits. I mean, like all presidential authority has limits, right? And David French over at National Review, he, he kind of put a fine point on it. He said, while the president clearly can exercise great control over who receives a security clearance, 
He could not revoke clearances from all Democrats on the grounds that the, the resistance movement was too pervasive in the party's ranks. And, and, you know, the reason for that is that we don't say that dissension is a security risk, right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're a free society and the president does not, contrary to popular belief and sometimes practice, have carte carte blanche to abridge individual freedoms, right? I mean, he gets to operate in a framework, but when it starts to rub up against your individual freedoms, he can't jail the press. He can't, you know, stuff like that. Right. So yes, constitutionally, it is his job to kind of oversee security clearances, at least have a hand in it because he's supposed to protect the nation, you know, commander in chief of the military and everything. But this, this was over the line. Now, has John Brennan, who was head of the CIA from 2013 to 2017, done some pretty crappy stuff? Yep. Absolutely, man. This man flat out lied to Congress in 2014 about whether or not the CIA had improperly accessed congressional staffers' files. But, but the thing is, like, if we were going to revoke his clearance for that, we have had ample time to do so <laughs> before now. This was a punishment levied against Brennan for exercising his constitutional right to free expression. It's not a jail term. A security clearance is certainly a privilege. But this most certainly sends a message to a class of folks who ironically might be able to voice an informed dissent better than any of us yeah. that they will be punished for going at this president. Again, Brennan has been a scuzzy guy going all the way back to being Bush's point guy on terrorism. I'm not saying he hasn't. In some cases, his Trump criticisms have struck me as breathless, hyperbolic, politically motivated BS. The thing is, though, he has the right to do that without fear of retribution from the government. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. On the other hand, there's part of me that can kind of see where Trump is coming from here. Um, I mean, the guy didn't and does not want Trump in office. And, you know, if I've got people that are supposed to protect America and, and, and protect our government. You don't want people who want to see that destroyed right. in that job. Um, but Brandon is not the active director of anything. He's not making decisions. Uh, he's not a point guy. He's not in charge of spying programs or anything like right. that. So does his security clearance even pose a threat? Like I just say, no, no, yeah. it doesn't at all. Um, on the other hand, if the Russia collusion, investi collusion investigation turns out to be just some partisan hit job and, and Brennan was integral in, in the creation of this, this Russian narrative, yeah, yeah, absolutely then was. I'm not sure he should have security clearance. But you know what? We're not going to know until the hammer drops on the Mueller investigation whether that's the case or not. Right. And I think, I think the, the other point there is that Trump has said he's considering uh, revoking clearances for like Bruce Orr and Peter Strozak and yep, Lisa Clapper. Page and Clapper and all these other people who are involved. Had he have done this, like had, had all of them, had he had axed all of them the same day? Well, in fairness, he probably would have got impeached, but, <laughs> but he would, in my opinion, almost have a more consistent argument. If his position was, this is fake, you're destabilizing the country with it and I can prove it. I'm taking all your security clearances. That would be one thing to, to go after what is, what might be, your most vocal and outspoken critic. Yeah. And just him, that man, that's pretty transparent to me, you know? And that's, and again, I say at any rate, it's the weight of the government being used to silence dissent. Yeah, absolutely. That is textbook. That's, that is scary stuff. Textbook. That's scary stuff. Um, so uh, we're going to move on to Sarah Young. Mm. And if you guys haven't heard about Sarah Young, uh, she was recently hired to the New York times editorial board and that ignited a firestorm of outrage across social media uh, because it was discovered that Miss Young had previously tweeted disparaging and inflammatory remarks about white people over and over and over. And I've got an example of some of these tweets here. Uh, you're going to have to excuse my language. I'm just quoting dumbass fucking white people marking up the Internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Hashtag cancel white people. <laughs> and one, white men are bullshit. Two, no one cares about women. Three, you can threaten anyone on the internet except cops. <laughs> yeah, Miss Young has now deleted the tweets 
And the New York Times is standing beside its hire, issuing a explanation slash apology in that's, the process. That's kind of odd to me. Uh, and it is odd. The New York Times said her journalism and the fact that she is a young Asian woman have made her a sub subject of frequent online harassment. Uh, for a period of time, she responded to that harassment by imitating the rhetoric of her harassers. She sees now that this approach only served to feed the vitriol that we too often see on social media. And and that's funny because when I first saw the tweets, I was I was a little bit angered. Um, I just because you've seen so many people fired for racism, uh, fired for their tweets, and here is the New York Times standing behind her with this with this excuse. Although when I went back and read the tweets with that context in mind. I kind of saw that some of them really did fit that narrative. Um, like, I dare you to go to Wikipedia and play things white people can definitely take credit for. It's really hard. I mean, that sounds a, like a direct reply to someone saying, oh, black people haven't invented anything or, yeah. you know, all, all that racist rhetoric that people spew. Mm -hmm. um, she said there should be a special no fly list for white passengers who profile brown looking fellow passengers at terrorists. You know, I can see that as being a response to dumbass white people on the plane going, I'm not going to let this plane take off while he's wearing that turban. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another one, have you ever tried to figure out all of the things that white people are allowed to do that aren't cultural appropriation? There's literally nothing like skiing, maybe, and also golf. White people aren't even allowed to have polo. Did you know that? Like, don't you just feel bad? Why can't we give white people a break? Lacrosse isn't for white people either. It must be so boring to be white. So there, there are a lot of these tweets I can look at in that context and understand, but yeah. there are others that don't that don't fit that narrative at all. No, that are there, just there are absolutely some that that aren't connected to any kind of visible trolling anywhere. Like you know, I, I saw one place where you know they were discussing election results, and you know somebody said. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like Trump's going to win, but it's going to be because of women of color. And she said, however, he is still leading with, you know, white women. And she comes down and she's like, I, Sarah Young is like, I hope he doesn't win. Oh, and fuck white women. That's what, you know, and, and so, so I get, I get what point she's making there, right? Like I get that she doesn't want, uh, you know, if white women cause Donald Trump to get elected, that's a bad thing for her. That's, I, I get the joke with some of these, the satire or whatever. Um, however, at the same time, I know that she has a standard that she is not holding herself to. Mm. And, and that's actually where like my problem starts with this whole story. But, you know, I've said on an episode before that you can simplify a complex issue and remain fairly consistent if you take it in pieces. And I think Sarah, the Sarah Young thing is a perfect example because it has more layers than an onion, you know? <laughs> so I, I say, let's, let's take the easy ones first, right? Should Sarah Young be fired? In my opinion, no. With the hiring of folks like Ross Douthat and Barry Weiss, the New York Times has shown that it's at least trying, more so than others, you know, definitely, to maintain diversity of thought within its ranks. Miss Young has the credentials, and ultimately the paper is a private enterprise. So even if all these other things I just said weren't true, they can do whatever they think is within their company's best interest. Absolutely. And and I personally, I don't really think that people should be fired over their opinions outside of work. I feel like there's some separation that, that we should maintain there. Uh, if you make racist tweets on your own time, man, that's your business. If you're not being a racist to people, your coworkers, uh, if you're not spewing racist propaganda in your op eds, like I don't feel like an employer really has much business in your life outside of work in America, you have the right to be an asshole. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I think you have every right to be racist as well. Um, and I have every right to think you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, as long as you're keeping those things separated, then I don't think it's any of your employer's business. I mean, that's just, that's just it. And now I will, I will qualify that by saying once the mob gets involved and, and your readership is calling for someone to be fired, then you have a very real duty to respond to that in the interest of maintaining your business. Right. If your readers are walking away because Sarah Young is or Sarah Young is a racist, um, then then listen to them. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to you got to do what you what you got to do to keep your readers. Yeah. Well, that leads to our next question: Should folks be out there screaming for her head? And so, actually, 
you know, I'm peeling it down into layers. Well, there's layers of this one too, because my answer is yes and no. It's yes in the sense that if you feel strongly that a company has made an awful decision, it is, of course, your right to speak out against it, mm. call for boycotts, even call for the firing of this young woman. You certainly have that right, and I would never argue that with you. However, do I support those types of actions? No, no, I do not. <laughs> and I'll point once again to our episode on the flawed messenger. I, I don't care at all for what Miss Young tweeted. I think uh, those tweets and the reaction they received from folks on the left are indicative of a lot of what's wrong with modern progressive thought. I might even be somewhat dismissive of her based on what she's given me to judge her by. Mm. But that does not mean that I want to suppress her viewpoint. I may dislike Miss Young. I may vehemently disagree with her in her hiring, but I can't justify shutting her out in the cold if someone is willing to give her a column. There may be value yet in what she has to say, even if it's no more value than informing me as to the state of progressive thought. And I will not argue for her to be deplatformed. <laughs> right, right. I get it. And, and that's actually an interesting take. Um, you believe that Sarah Young is a racist, yes? Yeah. But uh, you still think that she should have a job and a voice. <laughs> yeah. So would you feel that way about like a skinhead columnist or uh, maybe a neo-Nazi columnist? Uh, this really kind of strikes to the heart of the issue at hand, doesn't it? Like, where is that line? Who deserves a voice or rather who deserves to not have a voice? Yeah. Well, I think it, it, I don't, I don't want to get my position twisted. I think it would be a mischaracterization to say that I think they should have given her a job. Okay. Okay. But if they are so inclined to do so, then that's their choice. Would I feel the same about a Nazi, you know, having a column? Well, I'm on record on this show saying that I think we're okay to shut out Nazis. I think that ideology has had its run. However, the reason I can believe that Sarah Young is a racist and still not call for her job is the same reason that I can believe Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty is a racist and not call for his job. Mm. I believe that people are flawed and that there are gradations of racism. Phil and Sarah are racist, in my opinion, and their views need to be rejected. But neither of them are preaching Nazi levels of hate and violence, and I have to believe that they can be shown the error of their ways. Okay. I, you know, I, I don't think you just shut them out. Yeah, you don't think that that kind of that that does show them the error of their ways. I mean, I, right? It, you lose your job, and and maybe you hope someone else hires you. But really, it's a death sentence. I mean, Roseanne's not getting her show back. Yeah, you know yeah. What I'm saying? No, so, I mean, like if well, I'm saying like if if the New York Times, it's not for me to decide. Mm. If the New York Times decided to you know fire Sarah Young or not hire her in the first place based on those tweets, then that would be fine with me. Yeah. Uh, I do have a bit of a problem with the mob mentality taking over businesses. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't really, well, again, I support the ability of the mob, but it worries me when the loudest voice can get somebody fired because at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's how these people eat and do we fully understand it in its context and all that? You know what I mean? So, so that's why I'm always careful with that. But yeah, I mean, it, to me at the end of the day, unless you are, Straight up doing Nazi stuff, I am inclined to let you do what you do and me just heckle you. And, and disagree. And disagree. And loudly yeah, in yeah, some cases. Exactly. Yeah. So our next question is, does this fiasco seem to indicate that there is a double standard fiasco? present? Fiasco? Yeah, I, I, I did. Fiasco. Like Tabasco. Okay. No, it's, no it's that, the, that would be fiasco. Hmm? Tabasco? No, Tabasco. You don't... <laughs> tomato? What? All right. Uh, does this fiasco seem to indicate that there is a double standard present in media with regards to conservative and liberal viewpoints. And I think, yeah, absolutely. Uh, recently, Kevin Williamson, a longstanding and respected writer at National Review, was hired and then fired by The Atlantic after a similar controversy erupted over comments he had made regarding abortion. Mm -hmm. In a Twitter exchange, Williamson had said uh, that the law should treat abortion like any other homicide. When he was pushed to clarify, he added, I have hanging more in mind. Later, he expounded, I'm torn on capital punishment generally, but treating abortion as homicide means what it means. Mm. And this Death was penalties on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So this was seized on by many progressives and ultimately led to the Atlantic feeling like it had to let him go again. That is their prerogative. And the folks that called for his ouster certainly have that right. But you couple that with Roseanne's recent ouster from her wildly popular sitcom, Kanye's lambasting over the TMZ interview, and the constant calls for Barry Weiss to be fired from the New York Times, 
And it's clear that folks who hold conservative views are rarely afforded the same benefit of the doubt that Miss Young has just been. Oh, given. you look at you look at Tim Allen. Um, yeah. And I think we can even look directly at the New York Times here because early in February, they fired a new hire, Quinn Norton, for some of her tweets. And I'm going to read these uh, cover young listeners ears. I'm going to be horrible, but I'm, I'm quoting her. Um, she dropped gems such as thanks, fag. And what do you faggots want? Why are you bothering me, tards? Um, she adds in a little bit of context with I keep forgetting then getting surprised when fag and tard mean something other than a person from IRC. And, and in her defense, I, I don't think she's like denigrating homosexuals or people suffering from ment mental retardation. She spends a lot of time on 4chan and they use those terms a little bit differently. They've co-opted yeah. them into their own language. They did so purposely because they were so offensive. Right. Um, and that's kind of their, that's kind of their thing. Um, but the New York Times was not ready to jump to her defense at all on that one. Absolutely not. Um, she caught a little bit of flack for being friends with the editor of the Daily Stormer, which is a white supremacist publication, uh, straight up. And yeah. when, when pressed on that friendship, she said, Weave is a terrible person and an old friend of mine. I've been very clear on this. Some of my friends are terrible people and also my friends. Uh, she said, for those of you honestly concerned... I don't support weave. That's not given in how I define friendship. I believe white folks should engage with the racists in their life. And I believe all people are redeemable and all people is all people. And, and to me, that sounds like a voice that the times should, should keep on staff. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff we hammer home on this show. And I think she's right now. I'm not supporting her using inflammatory language. Um, it's not something I would choose to do. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're going to say, let's look at the context of Young's tweets and you decline to look at the context of, of Quinn's tweets, yeah. then there's a very clear double standard there. Well, and as you know, if there's a double standard, you can almost be sure that cognitive dissonance is, is going to rear its ugly head, mm. right? And so how do we solve the cognitive dissonance in this case? Well, I think the argument that's being posed by a lot of people on the left is that, of course, Miss Young, being a Asian-American woman, is incapable of racism. Whereas all those, you know, all those other things I listed, Roseanne, Quinn, uh, you know, that is, that is hate, misogyny, you know, those are terrible things. But Miss Young is just responding in kind. She is Therefore, just it's responding in kind. So that leads us to our final question in this matter. Were those tweets racist? And I think that's not an important question. I don't care if she's actually a racist or if those tweets are racist um, again, if she did nothing to hamper her work performance, I think it's relatively irrelevant. I give her the same benefit of, doubt, of the doubt that I give Roseanne, that I give Donald Trump, that I give anyone else. She, she deserves the benefit of the doubt. If she says it was innocent and innocuous, fine. If she harbors hatred for white people in her heart and it, and it blackens her for the rest of the, her life, then, then fine. That's yeah. on her. Well, I, I agree with you to a large extent, but there is something important that we have to nail down here because I have to fight the idea that certain people can't be racist. Mm. I can't I can't just let that go unchecked, right? So I mean for me, they absolutely are. I understand the argument that Miss Young and the Times have made about the tweets being a response in kind to racist trolling and hateful comments that she'd been subjected to. Uh, but there are two things wrong in my opinion with that argument. First Folks online, like we said, have clearly demonstrated that only a couple to a handful of the tweets could be seen as a direct response to such trolling. But secondly, and, and I think most importantly, even if they are, it doesn't excuse the action. Do I understand that minorities in this country put up with a world of shit that I don't have to? Absolutely. Yeah. And it most certainly garners my empathy and engenders a strong desire in me to help put an end to that BS. But it cannot excuse and allow those minorities to engage in the same BS. Racist trolling is racist trolling, and it's distasteful, immoral, and counterproductive, no matter the source that it's coming from. Yeah, I don't think we can. I don't think we can condemn racism on one hand and then allow uh, give a pass for racism on another hand. It's 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 just bad. It's bringing everyone down. It's not lifting anyone up. You know, if we're trying yeah. to eliminate racism. Let's eliminate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
So that uh, that brings us to our final All Star of the evening, and that is the esteemed Alex Jones. <laughs> uh, let me read this from the Guardian. All but one of the major content platforms have banned the American conspiracy theorist Alex Jones as the companies race to act in the wake of Apple's decision to remove five podcasts by Jones and his InfoWars website. Facebook unpublished four pages run by Jones for repeated violations of community standards, the company said on Monday. YouTube terminated Jones's account over him repeatedly appearing in videos despite being subject to a 90-day ban from the website, and Spotify removed the entirety of one of Jones's podcasts for hate content. And, and let me be clear about this, because this didn't happen in spurts. All of these platforms banned Alex Jones on the same day. Yeah. Well, at I, the same I time. Think, I think within two days. Like, one, a couple did it the first day, and then like let's say the next day was Tuesday. Tuesday, the other two did it, and then and then other people just started throwing in their hats. I can't remember, but there was one like weird place. I didn't even know Alex Jones had content there, <laughs> and he got banned from there. I will say, in 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 defense of one of the big guys, Twitter decided not to ban Alex Jones for some reason, yeah. even though they've got a hard on for banning just about everyone <laughs> yeah. for just about anything. So. No, it was it was very interesting that Jack, the guy who owns Twitter, like took a stand on Alex Jones of all people, <laughs> and that's and man, that's the thing. Like I hear this story, and I'm just like, oh, geez, man. Uh, I, Alex Jones is awful, and I assure you that I am well aware of who Alex Jones is. As we've said before, 15 years ago, we were right in the thick of every conspiracy theory you could imagine. <laughs> yes, we were. Maybe 20 years ago. Maybe. Uh, 16, 17, golly, 15 seems like not long enough to escape that part of my past. Man. I hear you, man. Um, so yeah, Alex Jones and, and the garbage that he hawks is no stranger around here. Um, but as been as has been the case for most of this episode, none of that matters. It mm. doesn't matter how I personally feel about Alex Jones. Uh, what matters are the two big questions that spin out of what just happened. To right. Him. And and the first question is, do these platforms have a right to remove content they don't agree with? I see this argument all the time online. People saying, ah, oh, they're they're, you know, violating his, his First Amendment rights and this, mm -hmm. that and the other. And I, I can't really get on board with that because, again, these are these are private publishing platforms. Yep. They they have a right to curate content. Well, I'm I'm torn on it myself. I mean, on one hand, I believe that a private company should have the ability to run itself how it sees fit. What's troubling to me is, like we alluded to, the way this went down, when you have multiple companies acting in concert over the course of a few days to shut down one specific person, uh, you know, I, does it violate his First Amendments? No, it's not the government, but it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really, that brings up my my biggest criticism here. And, you know, for one, the idea that an individual platform can shut you down for your views, like, that's that's okay with me. There are plenty of other platforms out there, or there should be, but right, right. what happens when the platforms all collude to shut you down together? I mean, you're kind of boxed out. Uh, what happens when all of the largest platforms actually share the same ideological or political beliefs? Right. Like, that's another kind of scary place. When when the internet was created, you know, the intention was this decentralized platform where people could engage. Uh, everyone had a voice, and way back in the you know, birth of the internet, everyone had their blog, and people actually went to those individual blogs and looked. You know, you created your GeoCities website and and there you were but over time we have allowed the consolidation of all of these platforms blogs have died mm -hmm. off yeah. now it's the facebook feed now it's the twitter feed um very much so there are like four main platforms that that pretty much encompass the entirety of internet traffic you got like facebook reddit twitter and youtube yeah. and and outside of that it's all small potatoes uh, and if you're not on those platforms, man, you are out. So in, in in essence, they very much so monopolize the market. And as we've learned with any type of market, uh, monopolies need to be treated a little bit differently. That's that's true. But I would ask, especially in this instance, even even more so than if we're talking about a company like Standard Oil back in the day, you know, creating a monopoly, like whose responsibility is it to correct this? They only have a monopoly because that's where we choose to all go. That's right? true. Uh, there are alternatives to each and every platform that we've listed. Now, I, 
in fairness, there are places like Gab, which is a, a replacement for Twitter, and Vote that are, is a replacement for Reddit, which are just awful. Yeah, they're and, awful. Well, and and let's be honest, the reason they're awful is is not because these platforms have come up as competition naturally with their competitors. They spin out of the people who have been shunned by those platforms. So Vote was created because all of the uh, anti-Jewish conspiracy theorists were kicked off Reddit right. and were like, hey, let's go build our own thing. And no one came because it was a bunch of anti-Jewish conspiracy <laughs> theories. Yeah, like, yeah. So so very much so, um, I don't think most of those places are legitimate competitors. Although... The ones that we have now, but I think that there is definitely room for more mainstream competition. I mean, I'd right, love to see it happen right now. In fact, over the Alex Jones thing and, and a couple others, there is a movement on to leave Twitter uh, amongst people on the left over how they've treated Alex Jones and some of the they've allowed that they've done. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they've allowed him. And also there's been some, some weird banning going on with people on the left and I don't finally. know. I, well, finally, but both sides are always complaining about shadow banning and all this stuff. Some of it's true. Some of it's just hogwash, you know yeah. what I mean? So, so pick your poison there, but we've seen upstarts uh, like in, in Facebook and Reddit topple established players like MySpace and dig good point. So think about what we learned about Facebook sharing data just this year. And then answer me why we're all still there. It's the same beast that causes all our eyes to roll when we talk about the Kardashians or Jersey Shore, and yet their ratings are through the roof. I mean, if we want change, we can bring it about, but not if we're not willing to inconvenience ourselves. And that's and that's what we got to do. You've got to get off of Facebook. You got to get off of Twitter. And you're like, well, then I can't network and. You're taking a stand, yo. It, it demands <laughs> sacrifice, man. And I don't think, see, I don't think this is, I don't think it's worth taking a stand for. Do I think that that I should drop my Facebook account because they banned Alex Jones? Like, eh, you know, I, 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 I don't think so. I, I don't care enough about Alex Jones. And, that is, and it's ironic that I'd say that because that kind of, that is the theme that runs through this, this yeah, episode, yeah. you know, is that, these these are unpopular people, so it's right. easy for me to make that decision. Here I am making that decision, right? But I just I don't think it's worth it in in Alex Jones' case, and and maybe it will be. You know, it goes back to the 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 poem. First they came for Alex Jones, then they can. <laughs> yeah. You know, one day they'll come for for the person I get mad enough about to quit Facebook about, and maybe it'll be too late. But really, someone needs to start some some competition to Facebook absolutely, and some competition to Reddit and stuff because this much power in the hands of, of consolidation is just, it's ripe for and abuse. There's clearly a market for it. Mm. No one is happy with the big four. You That's know true. what I mean? That's true. I guess the, the barrier to entry is just so high, but surely Alex Jones has stacked up enough money in his, <laughs> in his fear-mongering time to, to, to build a platform. I don't know. Maybe we'll see what Alex a, what a Jones' glorious book. platform that'll be. <laughs> so uh, do platforms have a right to remove content they don't agree with? Absolutely. But should they, ah, even if the they do have the right? That's the second question. Yeah. And so I think there's two main arguments here that's being posed for why they should. First is that Alex Jones has on numerous occasions incited harassment against the Sandy Hook parents and was partly culpable for the Pizzagate shooter. And I say, if Jones has broken laws regarding inciting harassment, then let's sue or arrest his ass. And, and Alex did get sued for the, the Sandy Hook shenanigans. Um, the parents of a couple children who were killed at Sandy Hook uh, are being are, are suing Alex for defamation. Uh, Veronique De La Rosa and her husband have had to move seven times to avoid harassment from conspiracy theorists who say that no one died in Sandy Hook and it was all a deep state agenda God, to foment gun control laws. Man, that's awful. Um, and well, it is awful. And <laughs> and to me, this is the system already working. Right. So mm. Alex Jones makes some terrible statements. We have laws that prevent people from making those kinds of terrible statements. Mm. He's being sued in court for it. Yeah. Voila. Part of that court agreement could include removing all of those videos from all of his platforms. Right. And that's perfectly fine to me. In fact, that's how I would see Facebook, YouTube, uh, et cetera, reacting appropriately to this yeah. would be we're going to remove all of your Sandy Hook material. Um, you know, if you continue to post Sandy Hook material, then you're gone, bub. 
Right. Um, instead, they completely ban him from ever appearing on the platform again, and you know that's a, it's a little harsh to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. the The second part of the argument for why they should though is is one that really like it 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 strikes a chord in me. Not that not not of agreement of disagreement, but. <laughs> Uh, the second one is that Alex Jones is a voice of hate and misinformation who is leading the populace astray and bolstering white supremacy. All right. My initial problem with this is that unlike a huge portion of the people that are making this claim, I've read and watched Alex Jones's stuff. Alex Jones. Big fan, huh? Makes ridiculous claims. Are you, are you making donations to his Patreon? I, I've never. No. I have not. <laughs> I did. Uh, he was actually uh, uh, acceptable in a uh, waking life. I don't, I don't mm. know if you remember, but he's in waking life. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. No, no he's absolutely, he's the dude driving in the car down the road, screaming through the megaphone. So of course he's <laughs> of the course guy. He's the guy yeah, but it, the that is the only reasonable thing that Alex Jones has ever done. But, um, you know, it, I, I compare him to David Icke cause I actually was, you know, reading David Icke when I was reading Alex Jones or looking at, you know, and, just like I don't believe that the the powerful elite are lizard people, <laughs> I didn't lizard people. Yeah, or, or extra dimensional lizard people, yep. no less. Uh, I was also able to check out Alex Jones without believing that the Jews run the world or that there are people intentionally putting chemicals in the water to turn the fricking frogs gay. And apparently, atrazine is is demasculinizing <laughs> frogs when that's, it leaks into water supplies. Man, that's fine, but nobody is intentionally <laughs> putting chemicals in the water to turn the frogs. Well, gay. I think I think you bring up a good point because the onus is on the reader to believe or not believe at some point. I mean, right? It, no news organization is going to be a hundred percent infallible. Mm-hmm. There's going to be False reports out there. It, you know, it's it's kind of on you to decide whether you believe something. And and we should not, especially when you're talking about grand theories. Um, so if we start making conspiracy theories illegal or or frowned upon or um, you know, conspiracy theories are real. Yeah. There's plenty of conspiracies that 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 or happen that have, every day. They at least have grains of truth, and and you are preventing us from discussing those grains of truth if you're you know preventing us from discussing the conspiracy. That's right. So I, I feel like there's a stigmatization of of conspiracy theories going on, and to me that's kind of scary because man, I mean, if a team of two people is enough to to start conspirizing, yeah. being conspirational to Bosco conspiratorially <laughs> engaging. There you go, man. My thing is, I don't think Alex Jones is leading anyone astray. That's not already primed to be led astray. Could you, could you make an argument about the scope of his reach influencing more of those people? Sure. But at the end of the day, if it's not Alex Jones, then it's going to be the local KKK chapter or the heaven's gate religious cult or the, University Humanities Department. Zing! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I kid. They're not the same thing. But my point is, we can't idiot-proof the world no matter how much we'd like to. And if we can't convince folks that someone like Alex Jones is full of shit, then honestly, maybe we're too far gone. I don't think that's the case, and I'm drawing that from experience. Alex Jones isn't a a brilliant force of evil that we've got to lock away like Voldemort. He's, <laughs> Don't say his name. He's, he's, a, he's a car salesman, man. And he's preying on the worst nature of people. And he is descended from a long line of charlatans and snake oil salesmen who have done the exact same thing. And, and you know what? You're absolutely right. We, and we do make laws to protect people from, from snake oil salesmen. You know, they've got to label their... Uh, they've got to label their bottles and and be aware of the claims they're making. Right. Maybe we should approach it that way. Um, but really, I look at Alex Jones like the National Enquirer. People pretend like yeah. this is something that's new. And that magazine, that rag has been on the stands <laughs> yeah. since our grandmothers were 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 you know shaking their rattles and stuff. Yeah. And I don't think anyone ever took it seriously. So right. what has changed? between the National Enquirer and now when Alex Jones is up there railing about bat people and swearing he has the pictures, <laughs> yeah. you know, why Why is this now all of a sudden a danger? Are we really um, so uneducated and so unable to make educated decisions that, like you said, we're just, we're just ready to fall in the trap? Yeah, Are we yeah. so far gone and beyond that, that we cannot discern the National Enquirer from the, the Herald Leader? It's, yeah. it's kind of ludicrous well, to me. Well, and I think, in fairness, I think there are those people out there who can't, 
but they're always going to be out there. Yeah, do, I mean, we, that's, do we bring society down to the lowest common denominator and, exactly. and we make laws and rules and regulations down to the lowest common denominator? No, you I don't think that's you the judge, way. You got to look at what a reasonable reasonable person would do. And a reasonable person would look at InfoWars and guffaw. Yeah. That is, the, I mean, just, just fall apart because it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> when, Instead when of standing up there going like, <laughs> Hillary Clinton is a trans-dimensional demon that eats babies. I mean, we should, we should know. We should, we yeah, should man. know. No, you, I mean, you'd have to be a fool not to get it, man. And I mean, and the people out there who are buying into Alex Jones, again, they're the people who drink the Kool-Aid, man. Yeah. They're always going to be there. There's always going to be an Alex Jones. And I think instead of running from it and undermining free expression, because we arrogantly think that we're going to lock it down and contain it, let's... Let's just meet it head on, grow as a society, and minimize its impact. <laughs> Dude, Let's, I, you know? honestly, I'd like to see that happen. Um, I don't want to see us hand over our own discretionary power to like large, politically motivated, multinational corporations. Um, that's kind of how we get corporate fascism. Uh, I have the ability to decide for myself that Alex Jones is a loon, and I'd like to keep that ability. Plus, I have to add that there is a very small possibility that Hillary Clinton is actually a trans-dimensional oh, demon Jesus. That, that eats babies. <laughs> I mean, Santa Claus might be real. Uh, leprechauns may sit under a rainbow and hoard pots of gold. Yeah, my dad might come back. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to have to kick it to fact checker extraordinaire Beanzo. Oh, no, 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 going no. To, Wait, no. Hang on just a second before you go slinging around that fact checker extraordinaire moniker. Uh, I would like to point out that in our last episode, fact checker extraordinaire Beanzo corrected me and then went on to mispronounce Dr. Robert Zubrin's name. Ooh. That is not Dr. Robert Zubrin. Is there a clause in his contract about that? I'm pretty sure that we will have to. Is that a demotion? Uh, we will have to take another long look at that contract. Yes, huh? indeed. Beans, with that in mind, what do you got for us today? Well, I bet you boys are just happier than a midget at a miniskirt convention. Finally caught your old buddy Beans slipping. I could point out that I at least attempted to pronounce his name, Theory. Or that mistakes are bound to happen with the sheer number of factual inaccuracies you boys drop in an episode. I won't, though. I'll just take it on the chin and admit to my mistakes. I'm sorry, folks, for allowing sense to use the only take where I mispronounced the name in the final cut. It's apparently my fault we don't have quality control during editing. And I apologize. Now, let's see what you fellas did this episode. Oh, so you're going to defend terrible people today. Okay. Groundbreaking stuff, guys. That well ain't tap. Keep tossing your bucket down it. What's that sense? You give folks like Donald Trump and Roseanne the benefit of the doubt? I almost feel faint after that shocking revelation. Oh, Theory can't say Peter Strzok. And he said Assange has been in the Ecuadorian embassy for eight years when it's six. Wow, it's like a whole new show. Who are you guys and where is Sense and Theory? Great work, fellas. I'm sure all my buddies are really appreciating the painstaking efforts you're putting into mixing things up and innovating. You know, this episode you might talk about the Panama Papers and not mention Mosek Fonseca. Next episode, you might apologize for a bunch of awful people on the right and rail against progressive thought. You just never know with you two avant-garde masters of the unpredictable. Fellas, I'm going to say back to you, but just don't melt my face with your fresh, original T-Swift reference. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know your butt hurt. We caught you slipping this time, and we'll catch you slipping again, but you keep her name out your mouth. Well, actually, in all fairness, you know, we talked about Alex Jones today. Her name's been in his mouth. What? Yeah, she, she came out and said she loved Diet Coke, and Diet Coke has aspartame okay. in it. So Alex Jones said that she's peddling death on the American population, and by saying you she don't. likes Diet Coke, she's basically no. saying she likes microorganism poop. Dude, I will not stand for this. Alex Jones must be banned. I want him off YouTube. I want him off Facebook. But His trans-dimensional neo-fascist 
This stuff has to end now, folks. Hey, folks, it's Theory of the Sense and Theory Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you for continuing to listen and support the show. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. Uh, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, like us. Uh, you know, it really helps the podcast uh, take off. And, uh, you know, get at us on the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at all the usual places. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, show ideas, suggestions, critiques, uh, condemnations, it's all good. Send it our way. Uh, we'll see you next week.